Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. John chapter 17, verse 20. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. All right, now, here now, the reading of God's word. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. The very word of God. Amen. Today, again, I want to preach on the topic of oneness. Oneness. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for a space to worship. We thank you for congregation and we thank you for your word thank you for your prayer now God I ask as I speak this morning that you would stand in my body that you'd speak my mouth that you think with my mind that my heart would be yours that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight as I ask every week Lord decrease me so that you may increase hide me behind your cross God Allow our ears to hear and our hearts to be open to what you have for us this morning. Have your way in this room, Holy Spirit. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen and amen. You can be seated. One of the movies from 2016... I'm going to ruin it for you because this is eight years ago, so if you haven't seen it, it's your fault. Um, in 2016, one of the movies that I, uh, I was on the edge of my seat and I was waiting for to come out was um, the Marvel movie Civil War. Anybody like Marvel in here? Y'all could have did better than that. Um, I, I, I like Marvel movies. And I was on the edge of my seat for Civil War. Civil War was coming out, and it's... Iron Man and Captain America in the movie, and they, they go at it. I just wanted to see all the fight scenes. They go at it. Uh, these are two that if you've watched any of the Avengers movies, you see Captain America and Iron Man. They're always going at it back and forth, throwing little jabs at each other because one, they both want to be the leader. But this time, it's a little bit different. In the movie, the Avengers are sat down. They're taken out of commission uh, because as they've been saving the world... And going about the different missions along the way, they've killed hundreds and sometimes thousands because of their tactics. And so they're sat down because they are told that this would bring about a safer America. And so in the movie, Iron Man and Captain America differ on whether they should abide by what they've been told or go ahead and do what they always do. And you have Captain America who says, you know, 
basically, I'm going to go rogue, but in his intentions, he's really trying to save his friend Bucky. And he still thinks that deep down within his heart that if I do this, it's going to save America. It's for the good of America. But then you have Iron Man on the other side that says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to sit this one out and I'm going to abide by what they told us. And I, I, I'm not going to go out here because I believe that this is going to be uh, good for America. It's going to make America safer. And so this causes a split right down the middle, forcing the Avengers to pick one side or the other. They're either on Captain America's team or they're on Iron's Man, Iron Man's team. And this causes a, a, a massive civil war, if you want to say, between the two sides of the Avengers. Now, here's the thing. If you didn't catch it, both sides have valid reasons for the way they're going about things, and they both want the same thing, which is a safer world. But they end up fighting over how to go about it. They want the same thing. Don't miss this. But they divide over subtle disagreements, but again, they want the same thing. They're not able to work through the tensions, through the differences, and put themselves to the side for the betterment of the other. And instead, their egos get in the way. Once friends and colleagues are now enemies and they're fighting and they'll never be the same again. Now, here's the point. Go with me. I think that all of us can agree with that our concern with being diverse or this multi-ethnic church that we are, whether we're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Democrat, or Republican, we all really want the same thing at the end of the day. We, we, we want peace. We don't want any more hostility. We don't, we don't want any more division. We want what's best for everyone, right? But sadly, just like Captain America and Iron Man, in seeking our goal, there has been this massive chasm created amongst people where it's no longer about the betterment of everybody else, but instead it's about who's right and who's wrong. Things become about which side are you on, which one is better, or this one is the best way. And sadly, don't miss this, the church has been at the forefront of creating this divide. Yeah, you'll go with me. We, we, want, we want churches and we want our spiritual spaces, if we're honest, to be comfortable. We want, we want our places of worship to be comfortable instead of confronting worldly tensions head on for the good of the gospel. And so in essence, our church or our churches start to mimic culture. Instead of fighting for true oneness, as Jesus prays for right here in the text. I told you last week, 11 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, this hour when we're sitting in our churches is still the most divided hour of the week. Around the nation is still the most divided hour of the week. See, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that instead of dismantling the divides in society, the church has sadly kept up the divides, which, hear me, is diametrically opposed to what Jesus is praying for his followers here in this passage. I mean, you, you think about the different denominations within Christianity. Many of them have formed over small differences, subtle things. 
Oh, you believe that about the Holy Spirit? We believe this thing. You know, we, mm-mm. Different, new denomination. And, and I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, but I, I don't believe God is pleased with all the divisions within his church. I, I just don't. I, I don't believe he looks and says, oh, I'm glad they just formed a new one. <laughs> I, I'm glad that happened. I don't believe he's pleased that differences, differences, and, and not all the differences are subtle and small differences. There, there's some hard and huge differences that have formed around us that, that, that are hard for us as Christians to grapple with sometimes and even believe that this has happened. I mean, for instance, you, you think about the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention was formed to keep black people enslaved. Did y'all know that? Listen, the, the Southern Baptist Convention was founded in 1845 to safeguard the institution of slavery. Northern Baptists had put in place this rule that, that outlawed men that owned slaves or people that owned slaves to no longer be missionaries. And so the, the slave-holding Baptists in the South said, well, you know what? In protest, nope, we're going to start our own thing. Because we, we want to keep our, our slaves. And so they started protesting. The founders of the new organization claimed that according to the Bible, listen to this, slavery was an institution of heaven. They pushed the idea that black people were descended from the biblical figure, Ham, Noah's cursed son, and that their subjugation was therefore now divinely ordained. They almost called themselves the Confederate Baptists. Now, listen. There's been some huge leaps forward, some changes that happened, but at the onset of the SBC, one of the largest Christian denominations, at the beginning, it started because they wanted to keep black people as slaves and believed it was God's idea. Yeah, I know I'm in the kitchen. Y'all didn't know that. But, But listen, it's not just the Southern Baptist Church. I mean, you think about the reason there's a black church is not because black people woke up and said, we want our own church. It's because black people started trying to go to church with white people and they couldn't worship in the same setting. And so you have folks like Pastor Richard Allen who started the African Methodist Episcopal Church because he started trying to go into the Methodist church with a group of people and they got kicked out for trying to pray. Trying to pray. So now you have the black church starting to form. Now, listen, my point in all of this is that the church, although we say we worship the same God, has divided over subtle differences as well as much larger ones like race, although Jesus prayed for us to be one. See, contrary to popular belief and what history has told us, There's no such thing as white man's Christianity and black man's Christianity. There's only one Christ. Only one gospel. And his prayer and design for all people was for every one of us to come to him. But sadly, as I've been noting just now and even over throughout history, throughout the last few weeks, because of the world we live in and what's happened in past times, the church has been as divided, if not more divided, than society. There's something to lament over. And see, see what tends to happen 
Now, because of this and what we've gone through and what's happened in history, when it comes to church, is that now we choose our church or our place of worship based off of what is comfortable, what feels good. You know, the, we, we dwell in the spaces we're in based off of our narratives, our stories, our upbringing, or what we believe lines up to who we are. And please don't hear me wrong. As I said last week, it's okay to be proud of who you are. You should be. Be proud of who God made you to be. He made you and I special just the way we are. And guess what? When we come to the table, we bring all of that specialness with us. You bring who you are. You don't have to change who you are when you come to the table with people. God made you the way you are in his image. So don't change. Come to the table just the way you are. But hear me, this becomes a problem when you come to the table and you believe everybody else needs to be just like you or assimilate to what or who you are. That now brings about this false idea of oneness. Friends, listen. Oneness does not equal uniformity. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Y'all missed that. Oneness does not equal uniformity. Listen, all ethnicities, if Christian, should be able to function together because the object of our worship is Jesus. This happens without taking away from who you are, who we are culturally or ethnically. Instead, we can look at all different types of people and backgrounds and what they look like, and we can start to celebrate and worship the differences because we're worshiping and thinking about a creative God. He made all of us, but yet says, they all mine, and they come to me. Hmm. But family, I, I know I only get a couple of amens because this takes work. And it's really hard. It's much easier to choose what is comfortable, isn't it? But listen, believers don't follow a Savior who chose what was comfortable. We follow a Savior who chose the cross. Jesus chose the cross. And when he chose the cross, he stepped over all lines of division, socioeconomics, race, politics. And he stepped down from heaven to meet a people like you and me who had nothing in common with him. Ain't nothing comfortable about the cross. And if that's true, let me ask you, how much more should believers fight intentionally to love one another despite our differences? So what I want to do, hold on to your seat. I want to look at John 17 a little bit. And Jesus here is nearing the end of his life. And I want to look at what he prays for. He prays that his disciples would be one. One as he and God are one. The prayer is extremely important to the Christian life. Why? Because if your identity is a Christ follower, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then despite our comfort or what the world dictates, we have to fight to live in light of who he's called us to be 
which is one. Not you and me over here. One. The church family, out of anything in this world, should be the one entity presenting a united front where we can coexist together, be with one another. I'm not talking about excusing sin and all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about being able to put our presuppositions or check them at the door, not, not, not trip over subtle issues. And the reason we can do that and put these things to the side because at the foundational level, we, we, our, our faith and, and our identity rest solely in the finished work of Jesus. This all leads to the priestly prayer here in John chapter 17. Jesus prays. I got three points, and y'all can get on to the Super Bowl. Number one, one is not uniformity. One is not uniformity. Number two, one is involves you seeking the good of others. One is involves you seeking the good of others. And lastly, number three, believers striving for oneness leads to Christ. Believers striving for oneness leads to Christ. Now, as you're looking at this text with me, John chapter 17, in verse 11 here, in the beginning, he says, and I am no longer, look at it with me if you've got a Bible, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus, in this passage, is nearing the crucifixion, and we see him kneel down in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. He's there with his three closest disciples, John, James, and Peter. They're there with him, supposed to be watching him, but they keep falling asleep. They can't stay awake. Jesus comes back and forth, and they keep falling asleep on them. Great friends, huh? And as you read the prayer, you can start to feel the anxiety. You, you can feel Jesus' pain. You, you can feel the struggle with what he's about to undergo. And out of all the things Jesus could be praying, like, God, God I, I ain't trying to do this. Can't you have somebody else down the cross for me? I, 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 I I ain't trying to die for people that don't love me. Nope. Can it be somebody else? Not me. Out of all the things Jesus could be praying for, he prays for oneness. Why would he say that? I mean, this really boggled me because knowing all that Jesus is about to have to undergo, go to get the road, not even just the cross, the road to the cross, Kissed by one of his disciples, betrays him, whipped, beat to a pulp, skin ripped off his back, crown of thorns on his head. Then nailed to, I mean, then then walk up the hill with the cross on his back. If this is me, I'm, I'm, no, no, I ain't, no, God, we would have been like, nope, I'm, I'm, no. I'm not, I'm not, no, I don't want to die for anybody. They sinful. I'm sinless. I've been good. I'm not trying to do this. God, 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 you ain't got nobody else. 
Not me, not today, not never. I don't want to do this. That would have been us. We ain't trying to die for anybody. Not that way. But yet Jesus, he says, Father, let them be one like you and I. Why would he say that? Jesus is saying the disciples here, they will believe because through my words and through my works, they will know that I'm God. And if we call Jesus Lord and Savior today, then we also know that Jesus is God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you skip on down to verse 14 of the text in John 1, it says that the Word became flesh. And so we know that that flesh, the Word becoming flesh, is Jesus. So Jesus right here is saying, I, I, I am God. We're, we're one. I've been around since the beginning But the question is, even if we know that, why? I still don't understand, Jesus, what you're trying to get at. Why are you asking for your followers to be one? I get you and God, y'all on the same page and everything. Why, about, why us? And he answers this if you keep reading in verse 20 to 21. Look at it. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. And I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. See, if you haven't caught it wow. yet, Jesus is asking for oneness because through the church's display of oneness, don't miss this, people will get to know Jesus. Now, I touched on this earlier, but oneness, it does not equal uniformity. Oneness requires us being able to struggle through our differences in order to point people to God. So it sounds like, oh, okay, we just come together. No, there's differences here. This involves believers Seeking to understand each other's background, their stories, where we're now moved by compassion towards one another, and now we choose to seek the betterment of our neighbor instead of just our good. In essence, in order for you to truly serve me, you got to get to know me. You got to get to know me. And it's got to be more than you just knowing my name. Oh, that's Pastor D. You got to get to know what makes my heart beat, what makes me tick, what keeps me up at night, what makes me mad, what makes me sad. You got to really get to know me if you truly want to serve me. Jesus wants them to be one like he and the Father are one. What I'm trying to get at is that this is an intimate oneness. But hear me. This is still not uniformity. God the Father and God the Son, they're both God, but different persons, which means although they're one, they're still different, one in essence, one in deity, but different in work, different in person. They never contradict each other. They're united, though. Common mind, common mission, common purpose. Let me try to make this plain. For instance, my wife, she's sitting, my beautiful wife, sitting here in the front row. I love her to death. We, we, we're to be one in marriage. But that doesn't mean she needs to be like me. 
One, I would hate to be married to someone like me. I mean, I'm going to be honest. We would fight all day, every day. World War III up in that joint all day. I mean, somebody should be amening. You know what I mean? I mean, for real. It would just not be a good sight up in the pucket household. It just wouldn't be. But God has made my wife uniquely her, who she is, the way she thinks, the way she goes about doing things, the way she feels things. But we're to be one. That's different than me, but we're to be one. And we're one when it comes to our mission, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to our children. We're on one accord. We're on one accord when there's anything life-altering or consuming that happens in our life. Because for both of us, the foundation that we operate from, don't miss this, is the Bible, what Jesus says in his word, the word of God. That's our foundation. That's where we operate from. That's where we work from. That's the lens to which we see life through. But the way she acts, the way she thinks, the way she feels, the way she walks through this life is very different than me. God made her uniquely who she is, and he made me uniquely me which is sanctifying. She amened a little too loud. It, it's sanctifying because we, we got to learn to work through the tensions. Got to learn to work through the differences to become one. That's very hard because we may not like the other person's difference all the time. We, it may not feel good. We may not agree all the time. But that doesn't mean that I need to change who she is. That doesn't mean I need to change who I am. No, no, no. We, we don't have to change who we are. No, that's not oneness. That's where this idea of uniformity creeps in and or because I don't like it, I'm jumping out of this thing. That's why people don't stay married all the time. They just, I don't like it. I'm out of here now. I gotta struggle through these differences. I gotta be able to accept her differences like she accepts mine. And we can do that in case you missed it because the foundation which we operate from is the same. Jesus prays for oneness and Jesus modeled it with God the Father and he lives in community with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Same God, different person in work. He hung out, though, also, if you want to make this more practical, at, with a group of dudes that nobody probably would have hung out with. I've talked about this in the past, but think about this group. My man had tax collectors and fishermen in the same group. Tax collectors who people hate, stealing from the poor. Fishermen. You know what I'm saying? I could just picture, you, you already know that Peter was quick with the draw. You, I could just see him trying to slice Matthew all the time. Boy, what? You, you take my money? You know what I'm saying? Like, can you picture the moments with the disciples, the bickering, the murmuring, the fighting, and the things that they were going through? But listen, they were able to come together, not around socioeconomics or race or politics. None of that is what brought them together. What brought them together was Jesus. That's their foundation. So they stayed together because their identity rested solely in Jesus. And now we sit here 2,000 plus years later because of what they did. We got people, say, shapes, sizes, all colors coming together because of Jesus. That's generational change because their foundation rests solely 
and Jesus. They came together because they were defined by Jesus, nothing else. And see, here's the point. When we look to Jesus, you and I, when we look to Jesus, I mean, we really follow him, really believe. Our life now becomes less about what we want and more about how do we help others. The Christian begins to live in such a way to where they can't help but to seek the betterment of other people because that's what Jesus did. Jesus in our text, y'all, he's about to lay his life down. In the most brutal way, he's about to die. But yet in the passage, he's not praying to get out of that thing and all this. No, he, he willingly goes to the cross. He's about to lay his life down for the whole world. He chooses. He could have said, no, no, you know what I'm saying? We already seen the flood already. He could have said, rain down fire on with him. I'm done. But he chooses to die. So if you and I, we call Jesus Lord and Savior this morning, then we're to follow his example. We're to follow his example. But there lies the problem. We have a hard time living like Jesus, don't we? We got a hard time living like Jesus. We had a hard time loving our neighbors and other people because we live in the world. A world that tells you and I to live for what is good, what makes us feel good. What, what, we live for ourselves. Our world doesn't, doesn't tell us to struggle for the good of someone else. Oh, it, it, now, the per- pervasive message, sadly, uh, that, that, that is all around us, when you open your phone up, social media, every day, do what's, do what's for your own good. What makes you better? But on the contrary, Jesus disadvantaged himself for the betterment of others. Wow. And it led to oneness. True oneness, listen to me, involves you and I seeking the good of others. Which brings us back to the question I already posed. Why would Jesus, though, why, why is he praying for this? I get where you're going, Pastor D, but why, why is he praying for this? Listen to me. He prays for oneness amongst believers. Listen, because when people see Oneness within the church, it leads them to Jesus. See, when people start to see oneness, it, it starts to, like true oneness, it starts messing them up a little bit. They start scratching their heads. When you see a black dude from the west side of Chicago, grew up in the streets, starting to hang out with a white police officers and they just boys, you start scratching your head like, yo. Something's different about that. When, when you see black and white and Hispanic and Asian churches, all different ethnicities coming together, praying for the city to be better, fasting, you're like, yeah, you know what? That, that's different. There's something different. When you see two friends, they used to be on opposite sides of the spectrum. One was a hardcore Republican, and the other one's a hardcore Democrat. And now they're best friends after 2020. You're like, uh huh. 
That's different. And you know the difference that people are seeing? It's Jesus. It's Jesus working in the midst of people because at the end of the day, if we want to see true change, and I'm not just talking about change where you stand up for something that's right one day, but I'm talking about generational change where year after year, thousands of years, we see change happen. It's because Jesus is all up in the midst of that thing, making it look different, and oneness is coming together. And people are saying, I want that. I want to be a part of what that is right there. I want Jesus. Jesus prays for oneness because he wanted people to come and know him. When Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God by dying the death that we should have died, that's, as I've been saying week in and week out, it's not just a vertical reconciliation between us and God, but it's horizontal. And so the, the, the reality is for the Christian that If we're living this life where we're vertically reconciled to God, then horizontally we should be able to work together with other people. We should be able to be in spaces with people that are different than us and work and live and do it all to the glory of God. Because despite our differences, we still worship Jesus. He's the foundational element that, that, that that's the glue that keeps us together. That's what ties us together. This is the reason that Jesus on the cross when he models it. I told you about this with the thief. They're sitting on the cross. The thief has nothing in common with Jesus. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. The thief, he he did something wrong. And and Jesus is sitting there and he's praying. Father, forgive them for what they, 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 they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. This is what he's doing on his last, his last breath. And the dude is like, you know what? That's, that's really, that's, that's God right there. And he says, you know, don't forget me when you get to paradise. And Jesus says, you'll be in paradise with me today. They're they're not the same people. One is sinless, one is sinful. But they come together around a common element, and it's the belief in Jesus. That doesn't make us the same as Jesus. That doesn't make him the same as Jesus. Doesn't make us the same as anybody else in here. What makes us one is our common belief. Y'all following me? You catching this? Y'all hear me? This is hard. It's hard. And if it wasn't hard, we wouldn't be talking about it today. But that's where the truth lies. Don't miss this. Believers, listen to me. We can wrestle with all that happens in society. Working through the tensions, the pain, the problems, and the trauma that happens day after day. You know why? Because we know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. We know what happens at the end of the story. Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to draw all men and women to himself, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, all ethnicities are going to come to him. And one day we'll be in heaven with Jesus forever and ever in glory. And I look forward to that day. But until that day, we need to strive for oneness amongst each other. So hear me, don't don't get down because the world around you looks gloomy. Jesus tells us in the word, 
that the world's not going to get better. But one day, he's coming back. Because hear me, when Christ comes back, listen to this, don't miss this. As we strive for oneness, when he comes back, I need you to hold on to this. He's not going to care what color you are. Who you voted for, how much money you made, what you loved in this life. He's going to care if you loved him. Yeah, come on. And did you love your neighbor? Mm. Let me end with this. There was this clip that surfaced some years back. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, of a softball player named Sarah Tokolsky. She was playing for... Oregon, I believe, and she was playing against Washington, and they're down, they're headed into the last inning at bat, and there's two people on base, and, and she comes up the bat. The tension is high because if she hits the ball and brings the runners in, then they win the game. She strikes out, they lose the game. And so Sarah gets up the bat, tension's high. She takes her stance, puts the bat up. Pitch comes the first one, and she strike one. Second one comes. She's ready now. She starts digging into the sand, puts the bat, puts that weight on her back leg. The ball comes. Bow! Hank Aaron, that joint. Hits her first home run ever. Drives the runs in, and she's excited, and she starts running around the bases. And she hits first base, and she blows out her knee. And she's lying on the ground crying. Now, the problem with this is that if she doesn't make it around the bases then the run is, all of it is negated. Everybody's excited, cheering, the runs come in, and then it's as if everything just stopped. And all the attention went over to Sarah, lying right next to the first base, crying. And at this moment, nobody in her team can help her. There's no designated runner, She's got to finish it. She's crying. What to do? And then something happens that nobody would ever believe. The other team puts themselves to the side. And two of the players walk over to Sarah. Put her on their shoulders. not caring about winning or losing, and they walk her around every base, and they make sure her foot touches the bases, and they take her all the way home, in the process, losing the game. Let me ask you, could you do that? Let me, let me bring it closer to home. 
How many parenthetical Sarahs have you walked past in your life? Crying for help. You're the only one that can do it. And you just walk past. Family, listen. If we're going to live for the glory of God and have true oneness, it means putting ourselves to the side for the betterment of others. Jesus, in this prayer, is not praying for the world specifically to be one. He even states it. Verse 9, I'm not praying for the world. He's praying for his followers to be one so that the world can see. Because when the world sees the church as one, they say, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want to know this Jesus that they serve. And that's the problem we got in our church right now because people looking at the church and I don't want that. No, I don't want that. When I was laying down Sarah, they, they, didn't, they didn't help me. See, when, when, when people see true oneness amongst the church, they say, I want Jesus. That, that's what I want. Family, let's be a people. That strives for true gospel oneness in every area of our lives. Not just when it feels good. Every area of our lives. This was Jesus' prayer for his people. So believe in here, let me ask you. Let me, let me step into your kitchen. Let me ask you, who are you persevering with? Who are you walking alongside through the good and the bad? No matter their skin color... No matter the differences, are you really seeking to be one with others to the glory of God? Hear me. Your Christianity is not determined by anything other than, first, how you love God. And secondly, how you love your neighbor. Strive for oneness. Not your rights, not what feels good. Let's strive for one, this family. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your passage and your prayer, specifically, Jesus. I'm going to venture out and say, Lord, as a church, as a people, I think we need to repent over this. I don't think this is a space that any of us do well all the time. But yet you pray for us to be one, to to follow your example and seek the betterment of others. God, I pray as we turn from whatever we've been trusting in, whatever we've been putting our hope, our satisfaction in, our egos, our own agenda, what we want to do in life, and all the people we stepped over and watched the Sarahs on the path, God, I just pray to we ask for, I just ask for forgiveness for us, Lord Jesus. That you make us into the men and the women that you want us to be for your good and your glory alone. That through us becoming one, loving one another and 
fighting for the betterment of each other, God, that people would look at Renewal Church and say, I want that. I want to be a part of what God is doing there. And in doing so, they would find you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's about you. So, God, we lay down our rights and everything we have at the foot of your cross. Say, use us, Lord Jesus. Do what you will with our church. And, God, I do pray that this city and all the surrounding areas would be different because of what you're doing at Renewal Church. That we wouldn't just set up shop and have church on a Sunday morning to feel good about what we experienced, God. But we would take this out of these doors. And our law offices, our businesses, our schools and classrooms and neighborhoods and communities would look so different because of what you're doing in the heart of your people. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way, Lord Jesus, in this place. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all sit together. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.